a lot of people more concentrated on the problem they were solving and they were very passionate about that problem, they would do far better than just thinking like, okay, by the age of 22, I need to be a billionaire. What is good, everybody? This is Michael Sakan, founder and CEO of Our Future. We are the go-to business podcast and media brand for Gen Z. And today, I have a crazy guest for you guys today. His name is Swish Gaswani. It's a pleasure to have you here, man. Thank you for having me. We're very excited. All right, you've done you've done a lot, man. Um, give us a thirty second background on everything that happened before you started your most recent company, TrueFan. Thirty seconds, okay. So <laughs> I uh, was born and brought up in Singapore. Very curious kid. Um, at the age of seven, uh, my parents wanted me to start looking at you know getting into just tinkering and innovating and building things from scratch. So I built a hovercraft with my father when I was seven years old, sold that for $200 and became obsessed about gaming. Bought a Nintendo DS, then bought a PSP. I know PSP back in the day. Um, and then bought a PlayStation 3 and, uh, you know, had a very kind of normal childhood, nothing too special, um, but definitely a great childhood. I, I came from Singapore and moved to Calgary, which made you know education very easy for me. So it gave me a lot of time to do stuff outside of school, like dance. I debated. Um, I played volleyball. I played cricket. I played basketball. Um, and in high school, I got the opportunity to join the Canadian national debate team. So I joined the national team, debated around the world, two world competitions, uh, came second to Singapore, my home country, sadly, in Singapore in 2015. Um, and normally debaters want to either go into law or politics. So I wanted to go into law, decided to do a pre-law program at the University of Toronto, only to realize after second year that I loved entrepreneurship and I wanted to engage more in the show. So joined a VC after my second year, did that for the summer and then built a company before TrueFan called Dunk. So my roommate in New York and I had come together. We basically had these really big Instagram accounts, the biggest one at Dunk on Instagram, which had about 2.2 million followers. And we worked with brands like Warner Music and Gatorade to promote our content on our channels, whether it was at Dunk, at Dunks with an S at the end, at the Hoop Films. The target audience were 18 to 24 year olds that love basketball. And doing that kind of company really gave me the idea for TrueFan in December 2017. That's crazy. So, you know, one piece of advice I get from a lot of these founders is just expose yourself to a ton of different things. You know, go out and be adventurous. You mentioned you were a curious kid. You got involved yep. with a lot of sports, you said there. And sports seems to be a huge passion of yours, right? That yep. went into the dunk project that you were working on. And then mm -hmm. I assume some of that energy bled into your current startup, which you founded in 2017, TrueFan. So yep. if you could just give us kind of the elevator pitch for TrueFan, then I want to kind of break down some more focused questions about different areas of the product. Sure. I uh, know TrueFan is an audience engagement platform. We help brands and influencers generate, segment, and activate first and third party data. Essentially, what that means is if you want to get information directly from your customers, whether it's email or phone number or mailing address, you can work with us and we will help you do that in a GDPR and CCPA compliant manner. And we'll also give you a dashboard to visualize all of that data, including data from Instagram and Twitter, to be able to find who your top fans are, who your most influential followers are, et cetera. That's awesome. So I can figure out the email phone number of my most loyal fans, not just the fact that they are there, but yep. this targeted data on them. That is really, really interesting. So yep. let's talk about the incredible investors you have. I mean, a lot of it is sports focused, man. Um, mm -hmm. And we just talked mm -hmm. about that kind of connective tissue between sports and 
this social media platform. You got a lot of like uh, MBA stuff. You're famous for your LeBron James LinkedIn posts. So mm-hmm. kind of why is this business framed well around the sports industry? Yeah, I mean, sports is kind of the epitome of where fandom lives, right? Um, a lot of, you know, crazy fans are in sports, no matter what league or what sport we're talking about. And I think it's very easy for teams, for brands, for leagues, and for players to understand that in today's world, their brand really comes down to how they engage with their fans and how they make their fans feel. And especially now where, you know, especially with COVID, where you're not able to maybe meet fans or interact with them in person as much, doing that digitally and doing it well in a targeted fashion is definitely important, which is why, again, you know, a lot of our customers are, you know, leagues like the NBA and the NFL, um, but also media companies like Bleacher Report and Turner Sports that do primarily play in the sports vertical. Yeah, that's super awesome. I mean, the use case that I'm immediately envisioning is finding the person with the most influence who's liking my content. So for me, we're not massive, we do well, but if I could find the biggest accounts that follow me and collaborate with them on a podcast, some other content, I could use TrueFan to do that. Is that the most common use case you see with your platform? Yeah, the most common use case absolutely is finding your most valuable followers, quote unquote, right? And and every brand has a different definition for what valuable follower means, but kind of generically influence definitely factors into that, right? So the NBA, for example, actually uses our platform to be able to go and find influential people whenever they're hosting events. So if they're hosting All-Star in Miami, they're going to look into who is in Miami that follows us on Instagram between 100,000 followers and a million followers that's verified. And, and we can directly reach out to these people, maybe activate them, get them out for a sponsorship or activation, give them free tickets, give them a discount, whatever it is. So it's really cool to be able to see the fact that what we're basically trying to do is allow you to actually get better insights from the data that you are entitled to, but sadly you're not able to currently do just through Instagram or just through Facebook. No, it, it's, it's awesome. I can totally understand why that is an awesome use case for the NBA. And it's so cool yeah. that you're in that ecosystem. I mean, you see so many NBA players like starting companies now, understanding the value of their personal brand. We even see, uh, basketball players talking about their own NFTs and, you know, crypto salaries and things like that. So it's a pretty cool place to have a tech product for sure. And I'm sure you're expanding outside of just, you know, the sports realm. Um, let's talk a little bit about why Instagram is relatively friendly to third parties to, you know, I, I assume it just amplifies the experience of the users and adds a lot more value to them. But, you know, why does Instagram share this data with you? Why do these social platforms yeah. share this data with you? Yeah. So for Twitter, we are a premium API partner, which means that all of our code is written with the permissions and authorization that Twitter gives us. For Instagram, however, they have a very closed off API. So what we do actually, which we think is fairly clever, is we work directly with our customers, our users, um, which they can download their data from Instagram, right? That is the epitome of GDPR, is that you can go on Instagram and you can download your data and you'll be given this data file that means literally nothing to you. Like it's really hard to parse through. It makes no sense whatsoever, but that's what we need. When you basically drag and drop a particular file that Instagram will send you when you ask for your data, that's what we want you to drag and drop into TrueFan. And we will create an interactive report for you that allows you to parse through your data a lot quicker and in a more meaningful way. That's that's awesome. You're making sense of, you know, it's just like doing your taxes. I mean, nobody understands, you know, looking through all that stuff, right? The, I mean, I mean, most people, and they'll just use a third-party service to make that make sense. And I think that's yep. just a huge 
draw of any consumer company that can make something complicated simple. I mean, it just goes back to, you know, bread and butter, um, business, a lot of bread and butter businesses. Um, yep. So so it's, it's definitely super interesting. Let's talk about the power of partnerships, because in my opinion, I'm a small media brand and working with other partners is really powerful uh, because it allows you to generate so much more audience. Um, so let's talk about how that kind of concept of a partnership is crucial to the media landscape and the social media world and how TrueFan kind of inhabits that space. Yeah, I mean, you nailed the use case, right? Finding people to collaborate with is such a powerful use case. And again, I do think that a big part of social media growth not only comes down to the content you put out, but the people you work with and the collaborations that you make, which is why so many companies, right, whether it's a Barstool Sports or a Netflix or a Procter & Gamble, they're looking to associate their products to other people so that they can open up new audiences and engage new audiences. So that's one really cool thing that people use TrueFan for is uncovering these sort of partnership opportunities, whether it's, you know, the NBA particularly looking at, okay, what brands are following us that we can potentially work with as new revenue, or it's a small business looking at what influential followers are following us that maybe we can work with and give them free product and they'll promote us more on their story or post. That's the type of stuff that we're trying to unlock through our data. Yeah, that's, that's super, super interesting. Um, it's uh it's it's your you have this omniscience and i think having omniscience is gives you leverage like even before you meet someone and i think that has been a compelling selling point for you because you go to these brands Mm -hmm. and you say there's something you're not seeing gives you great gives you a great deal of power so how old are you you're 20 you're 23 years old correct 23 turning 24 in three days or two days. Oh, okay. Days. Happy, happy, uh, happy early birthday. So I recently turned 21 and I consider myself a young founder as well. And, you know, young founders don't do much perfectly. Can we look mm-hmm. back on you building this company for the past, you know, three, four years now, what would you say is your biggest kind of challenge or your biggest screw up throughout that process? I mean, we don't need to look, you know, back. I think I'm going to probably make another one very soon. Uh, it's just what happens really. If you do, you know, have a lot of slip ups every single day, you can't let them bog you down. Um, each year, I think we've had unique challenges. Like in our first year, we had product delays. We had, a, you know, failed hires. I actually had to let go of people that were very close to me, like close friends that I thought would have worked as an incredible executive in the company, but it didn't work out. Um, and we also had a trademark violation. We initially were called Superfan, and uh, it sadly was taken. So we got a cease and desist letter, and we had to change our name to Truefan. Um, our second year, we acquired a company out of New York called Social Rank, right? And and figuring out how to blend the Social Rank brand, their their tech, their product, their domain, their websites, their social media accounts with our Truefan accounts was a challenge in and of itself. And in our third year, our recent year. We, we acquired Player GG out of Kelowna and not only acquired their brand and their, their customers and their tech, but we acquired their entire team. So an HR kind of challenge there in terms of how do you take two teams that are so different culturally and blend them together so they work well with each other. So I think those challenges have been great. I think, you know, when it comes to my biggest screw ups, I, I don't, you know, nothing's popping out right off the top of my head. Like it's just, there's been so many times where I feel like I've, you know, maybe jump the gun. I haven't analyzed the situation properly. 
Um, I've, I've, you know, let my emotions get the better of me, which sometimes young entrepreneurs do. Um, and so those are moments that pop out to me, but again, like there wasn't one that just stands out from the others. It happened probably so frequently that I'm a little bit, you know, in, in, you know insulated from Yeah, that, that's what I, that's what I was going to say is crazy. Like at the age of 23, you've already acquired two companies and merged them into your business, which is really, really impressive. And just to make those things work, make those things mesh, you know, sometimes acquisitions are that like can degrade a company. Sometimes they're a terrible decision in retrospect. And it sounds like the challenge is hard, but it ended up paying off. So what's yep. the vision for TrueFan? We've understood the use case. Is it just selling, selling, selling? How much time are you thinking about that versus new product development? Um, I'm sure there's pressures from GDPR and other data protection measures. How are you thinking about the future of this business? It's a great question. Um, so when it comes to the B2B product, um, we are currently in the process of unifying two platforms together. So we did acquire PlayerGG late last year. They focused particularly on first-party data generation. Our product before was only focused on Instagram and Twitter data and allowing you to segment and activate it. So we're actually in the process of merging the two together. That unified product will be out in mid-2021. Um, and it'll be one product that all our customers will use, one pricing model, not two separate pricing models, which will be amazing when it comes to just managing the team. And I know the team is also going to be very relieved about that. Um, and then past that, we are actually looking to debut a consumer product near the end of the summer. So around August and September, we're looking to put out a consumer product that ideally will reward people for um, what they do on the internet. Um, that's all I'll probably say about it. I don't want to go too in-depth on it yet, um, but it will hopefully be something that will redefine the role that people play in the data economy and make sure that people are not just an extractable resource uh, to brands and big tech companies. That's super, super interesting how that consumer product kind of is wildly different from the current B2B product you're developing, but it's smart. Like, like yeah. B2B, 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 then go to B2C, because BDC is, is pretty is a hard thing to do for sure. Um, Definitely, but you've been, there, there you've been is, so successful. Yeah, there is a similarity in the sense that there is a overarching principle that is still consistent, which is the B two B product. The principle there is that in order for you to get data from your customers, you need to provide value in return. So that's actually the way we generate first party data. Is currently we do it primarily through giveaways. So people come on and they give their email, they give their phone number, they give their mailing address, they give more personal information, but in exchange for a potential reward, whether it's the ultimate gaming experience from Bud Light or it's free G Fuel for one year from G Fuel. That's how we go about data sharing is through a value exchange. And that's a consistent principle with the consumer product in terms of people should be compensated for their data. And there are certain things that people do on the internet right now that, in my opinion, they should absolutely be compensated by companies like Google, by companies like Opera, by companies like Mozilla, but they're currently not. So that's a big problem that we're trying to fix, but it is a consistent principle in terms of data transfer needs to be a value exchange. That is so interesting. I am um, pretty intrigued by that idea to mm -hmm. create a value exchange because right now we're on, we the consumer are on the short end of the stick for pretty much everything. But yep. if you could make, um, you know, something of value, right? If it is something of value and if you can put, you know, a price tag on it and uh, show, you know, the surplus from that, right? It's unlike, it, it's, sim it's similar to any other commodity pretty much um, that's traded. So yep. 
that could be really, really interesting. And I think it's very aligned with the future. So what would you say is your big piece of career advice to a young person who's our age, who wants to build a company? I mean, you're so far ahead of the curve. You've built something awesome and it's growing into something even more that's really grasping some of the hottest trends. So what would you say? I mean, I think three things. Number one is, you know, though I do obviously appreciate the the compliment, the kind words, I, I do think that there are a lot of young people starting much earlier than even I did. And it's just amazing to see, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds getting involved and just starting a business. I think the consistent advice they would give is just, you have to start somewhere, right? Write down your idea, then go and actually get feedback from people that potentially might buy into it and move from there. And, and, you know, be scrappy in the ways that you find developers and go about developing that version one of your product. There's a number of ways to be scrappy, whether it's crowdfunding or whether it's, you know, giving equity to a developer so you don't even have to pay them initially, that stuff to look at. The second thing is focus also on your network. You know, for me, I interviewed a lot of people in my first and second year of college, and I found that to be incredible for growing my network. I realized that 99% of people in the world love talking about themselves. I am exhibit A, I think. And uh, if you can play to that incentive and you can interview people, it's far better than asking them for coffee. They're more likely to reply. They're more likely to even say yes. And it's a great way to build a foundation for your relationship with them, whether it's a future customer, a future investor, a future advisor, a future team member, et cetera. And the third and final piece of advice is, though I know I said that a lot of people are starting a lot earlier, you know, 16, 17, 18, just don't put pressure on yourself to like be this, you know, Harvard dropout that became a billionaire. I I do see a lot of young entrepreneurs have very false expectations on what true success looks like. And, And I do think that if a lot of people more concentrated on the problem they were solving and they were very passionate about that problem, they would do far better than just thinking like, okay, by the age 22, I need to be a billionaire because that is just gonna, you know, burn you out and it's gonna cause a lot of problems for your mental health. Wow.